0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi
2: there, I'm Lori McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to the Females Podcast Summer School Edition. This season, we're heading back to school, career school that is, with experts here to teach us the ins and outs of specific topics. Today's teacher is Jamie Mechanics, a people and career development professional who has spent 10 plus years hiring and building best-in-class employee experiences at companies like JP Morgan, Tory Burch, and Brooklinen. In addition, Jamie founded The Preppery, an online resource that shares expert career advice and resources with over three million readers. Currently, Jamie is the Vice President of People for Brooklinen, a Brooklyn-based company known for producing the internet's best sheets and more. Today, Jamie and I will be discussing a question we get all the time at Career Contessa, How do you explain gaps on your resume? Maybe these gaps are because of a layoff or resigning so you can travel for a bit. Maybe you left your last job to care full-time for a loved one or to be a full-time parent. Whatever the reason for your gap and however long the gap was, we're gonna address it on today's episode. And because we're here for that real talk advice, be sure to stick around until after Jamie's teachable moment because we'll be answering your listener questions, starting with how do you balance a side hustle and a full-time job, especially when you're just starting your career. And now this is the females summer school edition. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Well, we're discussing a very popular question, how to address gaps on your resume. So tell me, do you also get asked this question all the time?
1: Yes, I definitely do. And I think it's something that people get really, really anxious about during the job search and interview process. And I think that anxiety and nervousness comes from the fact that candidates think these gaps are something that will really hurt their chances from getting that job that they're, that they're seeking. And I think what people need to realize is that as long as the gaps don't remain a mystery and they're well explained, they're they're really they're rarely a deal breaker in the end.
2: Right. I was going to ask, like, you know, why are they seen as red flags? But it, I agree, it's very much like it's not necessarily the gap that's the red flag; it's the mystery around it that's the red flag a, a bit more. Totally. Do you think, because I mean, people are making, you know, career transitions. They are taking, you know, gap years. They're taking time off to do their side hustle or what, you know, we're just seeing more gaps today probably than ever before. So do you think the, the thinking around gaps being negative is definitely kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say going away, but definitely seen in a different light?
1: You know, I'm not sure if this is going to totally go away because when i put myself in the perspective of the recruiter or hiring manager you just have to think about what they really want what are what are their end goals and generally they're going to look for someone who a is going to love being on their team b someone who's going to perform well and c someone who's going to stay with their company yeah, for a really long time because <laughs> yeah no one wants to invest a ton of time and energy in the hiring and onboarding and training process just to have someone leave so Past jobs are seen as a predictor of what might happen in future jobs. So if the resume is indicating that maybe this hasn't happened at past jobs, maybe they've been left quickly, maybe they've been left without another opportunity in hand, they're just going to wonder why. Right. Now. I think when someone leaves a job quickly or without another job in hand, there there is usually a pretty specific reason for that. And I think recruiters and hiring managers they just want to make sure that reason is not a reason that's going to like reoccur in the job that this person is interviewing for, and and not be a negative for them in any way. So it, it's really just yeah, you can think about it that it's like from a selfish perspective, but really. I think everyone in this process actually wants the same thing, which is to have people be really happy and engaged over a long period of time in the job that they're stepping into.
2: 100%. Okay. So to make this a little bit more of a fun topic, I put together some do's and don'ts. So I was thinking we could go down the list and just kind of nail them out one by one. Sure. So do or don't address the gaps at all. Obviously, you're going to say yes (laughs) based on what you just said.
1: (laughs) Definitely address it. And are we talking about on the resume or in interviews or both? I would say both. Yeah. I mean, either way, definitely address it. I have different ideas on appropriate ways to address it in those different forums. But either way, the biggest mistake is just thinking that someone's not going to notice and ignoring it and leaving the elephant in the room. I think that's. That's the biggest mistake that you right. can make. And just
2: so anybody who's listening to this wondering if we're actually going to explain how to address that, that's going to be my next question after do's and don'ts. So stick around. All right. Do or don't offer an explanation for each gap. So basically, is there an expiration date for gaps? So if you had gaps, you know, five years ago and maybe the job you had five years ago is relevant to what you're applying, but it's like, it was such a long time ago with your gap. Do you address that or do you put that on your resume?
1: Yes. So I think it is important to offer an explanation for some of the most relevant gaps and, you know, the expiration date on gaps like there is one, but it's not necessarily about how many years ago was this gap. It's sort of just like how far down is it on your resume? How many different, more relevant experiences have you had since then? So Certainly, if you have a gap from the role that you were most recently in and you're actively interviewing, of course, you have to explain that one. You probably want to explain if there's one right before and maybe the one after that. But then beyond that, I would probably just leave it. And if someone asks, you can always get into it.
2: Right, right do or not explain in extreme detail about your gap. So for example, you know, if your gap is you were recovering from maybe an illness, like, do you, do you tell them like I was recovering from an illness or is that too much detail? I mean, how, how much detail do you give? And like, I mean, obviously you want to explain the fact that, you know, we were saying earlier, like, we want to make sure they understand the story of why there was a gap.
1: For sure. So I think the most important thing is to be straight and to the point and unapologetic about it. The more you over explain or clearly have a sensitivity to the thing that you're talking about, the bigger of a deal it seems like from the person on the other end. So I think if you had a health issue, and we're going through recovery. That's actually not a lot of detail. That's just explaining what happened. It's pretty straight and to the point. So I think that's appropriate. Now, I don't think if your recovery took five months and there were a lot of twists and turns and then you had to move and be transferred or who knows, right? That I don't think you need to get into. So no, I wouldn't go into extreme detail, but yes, I would share the reason for the gap even if it is a more personal reason, and you should just use your judgment and discretion on how much of something personal you want to share. So I've had people say to me, I took three months between these jobs because I was caring for a sick family member. That is a fine amount of detail. It never matters to me the specifics of that situation. That's more than enough.
2: Right. Absolutely. Okay, so the next question I actually just got this the other day and just to give some context, so on people's resumes they usually list, you know, their job title, the company and the time that they're there. So do or don't use years instead of months if you were at a job for a short amount of time. So if you were at a job for 6 months, do you write, you know, June 2019 to December or do you just write 2019?
1: Lauren, what do you think about this
2: one? I have a strong opinion. <laughs> So I definitely lean toward including the months. I think that's really important and something that I would I would definitely prefer to see.
1: Yeah. So for, for me, especially because I'm still in a position where I'm reviewing tons and tons of resumes on a weekly basis, this is something that totally drives me crazy. I always want the months because if you're giving me years, especially for recent experiences and especially if it looks like it's one year, then I basically know you're trying to not say something. And I think purposefully leaving out information for me is on par with lying. And I think integrity is such a big deal when you're hiring someone into your company. And so for me, leaving information off on purpose to mislead someone is a big integrity issue for me. So if I am interviewing someone who has just years on their resume, of course, I'll still call them in if they're qualified for the role. But you bet I'm going to yes. ask you got those some questions. <laughs> and and then if it seems like they were left off on purpose, for me, that's a character flag. So one of the things I, I agree with that and one of the things I
2: do like, so for example, if someone had a lot of like short-term jobs, so let's say you had three short-term jobs in the same year and you're going to put the months, I'm also a big fan of people adding like a one sentence like overview to their resume. So like underneath the your job title and company name saying something like, Uh, you know, I worked here, I was a three month temp or something, or I was a temp while someone was on maternity leave. Cause also the storyline of why you were somewhere for months versus, you know, years might be very
1: reasonable and also like really helpful for the context of that. I totally agree. And by the way, if like somewhere on your resume, you spent a two year period doing various temp jobs I don't need the start and end months for every single one of those jobs just for full-time roles, right? So if you have various freelance roles from 2016 to 2019 and you want to list each company you worked for with with the year, that's a totally different story. But for full-time experience, when you really sign up for a company, commit to working there and it's a full-time role and that's everyone's expectations, I definitely want to know the exact month. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Okay. Let's talk about um, what's the best way to explain a gap in your resume. And obviously, you know, since you are reviewing resumes all the time, any real examples of people who have done this super well, I think would be really helpful because I, I do I do think this is definitely one of those things where it's more of an art than a science and it depends on a lot of factors. So let's start with what's the best way to explain a gap in your resume.
1: Sure. So let's talk about on the resume first. There are some gaps that can be very easily explained in just a few words in text that requires no other context. And if you have a reason like that, I would just put it on your resume in the line below your job title before the bullets where you describe what you do. So if you had to leave a job because your visa expired or because the company got acquired or because you relocated to a new state, these things are really black and white, so not a big deal, super helpful to know. And so I would say just put them right on your resume. And if something was a contract or a freelance role or temporary role, definitely always put that in the job title. Some people think that maybe that will be seen as as less than, but that just alerts the person reading the resume right away that like, yeah, this is three months long, but this is exactly why. So- Um, Don't don't shy away from that.
2: And what about the big gap? So you know, you took ten years off to raise your children. You you know, as we said, like had to help out with a family member, and these are like significant gaps. So you were in the workforce ten years ago, and now you're looking for a new job. I think that's a fairly common scenario.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's worth probably if it's a really big gap like that either noting on the resume in your experience section, or maybe you even have a summary at the top of the resume that says, you know, after X years of spending time with my family or however you want to phrase that, that's more eloquent than that, I'm now looking for a role where I can apply my X, Y, and Z skills in this field, right? Right. So I, I think it doesn't have to be explained like next to a job title if it's something that's kind of a really big life decision or a long gap. That's not really about what's between the gap. It's more about the big picture of, you know, why you took time out of the workforce and why now is the right time to re-enter and then where you can fit in and add value. Yeah.
2: Do you have any good examples of someone you've seen with a resume that clearly had a big gap, but like really did a nice job at presenting
1: it? I think one great thing to do, if this is the case, is when people share how they've spent their time. That's relevant to the role they're applying for. So, for example, just because you take time off to be with your family doesn't mean during that time you might not be take. You might like not be taking a course on something that's relevant, or volunteering with an organization doing something relevant, or uh, working on different projects. So you can kind of fill the gap with what you have been doing. I think that's helpful. Even people who have chosen to take, you know, a year or two, this is a little bit shorter, but take a year or two to travel the world. I've seen some really good resumes where it says, you know, took this time after working for a decade to travel to new places that I've never been and immerse myself in the culture and X, Y, Z, and just share a little context on like, why this time was meaningful. And, you know, it's a bonus if you've done anything super relevant to what you want to do next during that time. So if you have, don't hesitate to share that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I had someone email me the other day and they they put this in the body of their email, but they I'm sure also have it on their resume and they wanted me to make an introduction to, to this company anyway. And he, in his email to me, he was basically explaining like, I I've been out of work for the last year and it said like, you know, at the end of XYZ year, I voluntarily left my last company to complete, you know, whatever crazy thing he was doing on his trip. And he mentioned all the the countries he went to. But what I loved is he ended it by saying, you know, along with being incredibly rewarding, the trip also helped me to reprioritize some of my personal and professional goals. And that's why I'm reaching out about X, Y, Z. And it's the ending of that that I thought was really great because now, as you said in the very beginning, it's about the story, right? And he's super confident about his story. He's not like anxious that somebody's going to be as you said, like, own it, be proud of the fact that you took this break. And, and it really was a very, like, I thought concise and like the storyline made great sense. And I was like, awesome. I see no, like, there was no doubt in my mind that this person was, could still apply for this job and be great, even though they had taken the last year to travel.
1: I love that. I totally agree with you. And I think one of the most attractive qualities a candidate can have is to show that they're being thoughtful about their next move. Because if you go back to what we were talking about before, about what hiring managers and recruiters really want, they want people who are making the right decision at the right time. You know, the people on the other end, on the company side, like they want people to come on and be happy and make the right decision. It's a better thing for everyone.
2: A hundred percent. What about how can you find the value in your gap and get it to help you and your job search? So I know I'm kind of overusing this example, but someone who has been out of the workforce for longer than a year. And so now they're trying to get something more relevant or not relevant, something more recent on their resume. So how can you use this, the the value of your gap to actually, you know, be not, I guess, like, you know, you're competing potentially with people who have been working full time at all these companies. So it's like, how can you still be competitive?
1: Yeah, well, I think one thing that might give you a leg up against people who maybe have had a more continuous story to share is to network and to leverage people who really know you and how great you are and give that extra endorsement. Um, That that way they can say, you know, it might look like this person hasn't been in this field for a few years, but like I know them and they have an incredible work ethic. They will learn anything we need them to super easily. And they're going to be amazing. And I can personally vouch for them. Like if you can get that type of endorsement, yeah. it doesn't matter what's on your resume. You're at least getting to that conversation piece in in the interview. So I, I would say don't rely on that piece of paper to communicate your your value and what you can uniquely bring to the table. See if you can if you can actually show that to someone face to face. I know this is a little easier said than done depending on the strength of your network, but that that's one thing that could really make a huge difference.
2: Yeah. And, and I would say like, if you don't, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't have a network. Well, you can also start to develop a network, you know, take some online courses or learn some new skills, enroll in like a community college and, you know, and, and get to know like the career center. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head or even offer to do like volunteer or freelance work, anything where it's like you've got these talking points right now. You can, when you do start to build your network or go to events or talk to people, it's like, here's what I'm currently doing. That's like fresh and new and probably a skill set that, you know, you're going to want to be using in your next job too. Cause I think, I think it is important to have, you know, something today that you're talking about and not just be, be relying on skills you did, you know, five plus years ago.
1: Yeah. It depends on the length of the gap, but I totally, I totally agree with you. And This would be a bonus and maybe a little tough to find. But perhaps if you have a dream company that you want to work for or dream function or industry you want to be in, like go on LinkedIn. I bet you can find people with gaps in their experience for different reasons. So if you just took time off or, you know, time uh, away from work to be, you know, a stay at home mom, there are tons of other people who made that same decision. And if you can find a, a supportive group of people who've, who've made that move back in, not only would they have some great advice, but they definitely would understand your situation where you're coming from and probably be the first group of people to do everything they could to help and to support you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, last question, which that's you, top of mind for me, because now I have I have a baby at home. So I'm yeah. overusing <laughs> that example. So everyone can baby. find Jamie on LinkedIn. <laughs> and She'll, yeah, she'll Babies, you. Exactly. <gasps> babies are on the mind. Also,
2: well, we've actually interviewed people on the females who have done this, uh, like season one, we interviewed this woman, Aditi Davari Coakley, who's now the CMO of Northwestern Mutual, like, big, big position. Guess what? She took a break and raised her kid and went back to work. So like there you're right. There are lots of examples of people who did this. And, you know, it's I think the fear is that people are like, well, if I go back in, I have to start at the bottom. No, but you're going to have to find probably some examples and that will help a lot. So, um, okay. Last question. I want to talk about job hopping, which I know is isn't technically a gap, but how should someone explain that? And what do recruiters really think about job hopping?
1: Yeah, that is a tough one. Because (laughs) again, I think for most companies, retention is a really important goal for people teams, right? So I think that, you know, job hopping on a resume actually can be something that people are more nervous about than than gaps, to be to be honest, because what it looks like if you've had, you know, first of all, if you've left one job, in under a year or around a year, that's not job hopping. That's one bad luck <laughs> experience that you've had. Now, if you have a track record of having, you know, five jobs on your resume and you've been at all of them for under a year, that, We've got that questions. could be something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That could be something that's going to be a challenge for you to overcome. I think the path through is honesty, right? You have to share very genuinely why each of these experiences, you know, didn't work out, why you made the decision to move from one to the next. I think being honest and genuine is important. Now, there are certain things that can be said in different ways, right? If you got fired from a role for performance reasons, I probably wouldn't lead with that. But you can say for these reasons, this was not the right match for my skill set. And, my manager and i decided that it made sense to look for something that was and so here's how i applied that learning to my next search and very strategically chose to go in this direction and then maybe that job ended for a reason that was totally out of your control like company wide layoffs or restructuring that you should not be afraid to share that's you know totally fine and reasonable to share and i think recruiters really understand that, that happens from time to time. So I think you have to be honest. You don't have to tell your deepest, darkest secrets, but you should share the true reason, or at least a palatable version of that. And look, it's about themes. So if, if you have the same reason every single year, that seems like something that should be in your control. Like if five times you've made the wrong choice or five times it wasn't a match for your skill set or it got too tough or it wasn't interesting enough, then I, I think it's going to be an issue because the person interviewing you is going to feel like, well, what's going to be different if you come here? You're probably not going to find it interesting enough after a year. So right. I think diversity of reasons if you do have a few hops is important, but I just think being honest, in some form, is personally really important to me. I, I for I can look past a lot of shorter stints if I feel like someone is being really genuine about it and has taken some learning away from it that they can apply to their next move.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with that. And also, um, I, I think you giving the examples of like how to word, I think being fired makes people especially a little bit insecure and like worried. And, you know, they feel like they're wearing the the scarlet letter on them, but it's, it, it can be worded in a way where you do not need to air all the dirty laundry, but you can be also upfront about the fact that you were fired. Cause that's another thing. I do feel like people don't want to say fired. And so they come up with other phrases or words, but you're like, Wait, so you're basically trying to say, so you, you like when you are wordsmithing this, just still be honest about it, you know, still making sure to mention, like, you know, I wasn't let go, I was fired, or as uh, the way you phrased it. Because I, I, and the reason why I say that, just because it's like, once a person gets hired and they're there and then you learn something else, it, it does leave like a bad taste in your mouth about the person. You're like, oh, that's, you know, even though they're already at the company, you might remember like, hey, when you were, when we were interviewing, you never offered
1: that information. I don't know. I don't, I'm with you. Oh, Honestly, for me, yeah. for me, that is a fireable offense. Me finding out that someone lied about something on their background and like official application well, is for sure. a, it's a, it's a huge issue. So it's I think it's better to share the truth up front and you know there's many ways you can frame it to make it positive or at least a learning. Right. But if if someone lies about where they've been or the length of time and then I find out otherwise it's it's really a much bigger issue than if, if they had just shared it up front. Right. Now the other one thing I'll say cuz this is the most effective thing that I think someone can do if a role didn't end in a great way is to say, look, I decided to move on for X, Y, and Z reason, or it was mutually decided that I should move on for X, Y, and Z reason. But my performance track record was good. I built great relationships and I'd be more than happy to offer multiple references from that company.
2: Oh, perfect. That's what people want to know. They, because it's the actual words that you have to put on you know, the resume or in your speech to the person. And so I think that's perfect.
1: Yeah. If someone can give me a reference, even if it didn't work out, as long as I feel like the person learned from it, ended on professional terms and still kept good relationships, even maybe in a less than ideal situation, that holds a lot of weight for me. Yeah.
2: Well, Jamie, this is fantastic. And like I said, this is probably one of the most popular questions. And for, for like what we said, various reasons, like you know, we're not just talking about gaps that are months. They could be years, multiple years, a a variety of reasons. So I think this has been really, really helpful. Um, Where can listeners find you if they have follow-up questions or just want to follow, like, what you're up to? Because you have, I personally think you've been in recruiting for a really long time. And so also, like, your advice is very straightforward. And I think that's helpful for people.
1: Awesome. Yeah. You can find me at preppery.com where I have tons of helpful and free resources and preppery on Instagram and Twitter. And one more thing I wanted to say, just because I've also right now I'm, I'm back in a, in a people leadership role, but for three years, I was full time working with job seekers as clients and people had so much emotion tied up in, in their gaps. And look, not every job ends well. Sometimes you have a really crappy boss. Sometimes it's just not a right fit and you're not set up for success. Whatever the reason is, everyone who I've worked with always made this such a bigger deal in their mind than it was in reality when we figured out just how to explain it, whether it be on a piece of paper or to someone that they're interviewing with. There's so much shame around this. And I would just encourage you to realize that, these situations happen to almost everyone yep. over the course of their professional career. And some of the most successful people I know have been straight up fired from their jobs for performance reasons, and they've gone on to do incredible things. So right. I would say to the extent that you can let go some of that shame and emotion and just figure out how you're going to move forward and provide an explanation that you're comfortable with, the better off you'll you'll.
2: Yeah. and, And a good exercise to get comfortable with it is like go to networking events where you have to have your elevator pitch and include that in your pitch. So you get more comfortable saying it out loud and having, you know, walking through it and things like that too. Because also I think not only are people anxious, but then they get really anxious because they're talking about it maybe for the first time with this recruiter and the only other person they've talked about it with are their parents or something like that.
1: That's a great idea to practice in a low, a lower pressure way yeah, than, the, than the interview itself,
2: for sure. <laughs> We're all about taking the pressure off. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. This was so helpful. Thank you, Lauren. All right. It's that time in the show when we hear real voicemails left by you, our listeners, and do our best to give you some real talk career advice. And to help, I've invited Kayleen Cahiz back on the show, who runs content at Career Contessa, to also give her two cents. Today's voicemail is all about how do you balance a side hustle and a full-time job, especially when you're just starting your career and maybe not feeling super challenged. Let's listen in.
0: Hi, um, my name is Megan, and I'm basically new in my 20s to my career. Um, I recently started in the healthcare industry and corporate kind of insurance. And my biggest challenge has just been Wanting to eventually start my own business, but trying to kind of figure out what that is. Um, I have a good sense of it, but I think just knowing how to both focus on my own career right now and then also on my side career. Um, what I'm struggling with in my current career is just a lack of challenge. And um, I've talked a lot with, like, you know, with my supervisor about it, but I. I'm trying to make this short, I think just maybe any tips on sort of building the side hustle and kind of figuring out how to navigate the balance between a new career and also handling the side hustle would be great. Thanks again. And yeah, I'm really excited to hear more from the female podcast.
2: Okay, Megan. Well, thanks so much for calling in. That is a great question. And I think it's one that a lot of people think about, which is I want to start a side hustle. That will eventually become my main hustle, but I'm also currently in a job. And I think that you think about this even more when you're not challenged in your job. But Kayleen, let's start with you. What's your advice?
3: Yeah. So this is definitely a tough one. It's really difficult to have a job that just doesn't challenge you. I think usually people think if you have a job that doesn't challenge you, it's easy and you just kind of wait to clock out at five. But I think the reality is kind of the opposite. When you get out at five, you're so drained just from kind of sitting, like, like not using any energy. Just it <laughs> could take a lot of energy just counting down the minutes for the day to be it's over. True. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think I think a lot of people relate with like when you have a great day at work, you come home and you you have more energy. They're, like yeah. those are the days you're going go really to really peppy. Gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Those are the days you end up being up to like one in the morning, like <laughs> super excited. So. I do think it could be super super draining to have a job that just doesn't challenge you, doesn't excite you and you just kind of slog through the day. So, my main piece of advice would be to set your alarm clock earlier and work on that side hustle in the morning and just like just like anything that's going to excite you. I think you can take that energy that you derive from working on something you really like and let that kind of seep into your work day. Or or if nothing else, you you have an exciting two hours in the morning.
2: Right. You're like reverse engineering the yeah. energy situation. So instead of being drained and then trying to amp yourself up to work on your side hustle when you come home, maybe start with that. And that positivity will go into your work day. It sounds like you've already asked your boss about extra challenges, but I know what it feels like to be extremely bored at work. Um, one of my first jobs, I was very bored at work. I literally studied for the GRE <laughs> during most of the time there. I waited till the phone rang. I also worked a lot on my side hustle, so I understand. but I would what I realize is like since you have to be there anyways, one of the good things you can start to think about is can you work on skills that you want for the future? You know, maybe that's either skills that you have in your office place and you just want to see if you can develop them further because you're going to use them in your side hustle, and that will actually be really, really beneficial. Or maybe you use that extra time to take some online learning courses or you know, study further about what it is that you want to do. So you could use your time at work productively toward learning new skills that you could then later on use in your side hustle. Or one of the things I would do also that I thought helped just, like I said, when you're not being challenged at work is start having informational interviews. Start to talk with other people at your company. What do they do? Why do they lock their job? I mean, it's good to start with people who do like their job there, because that might open your eyes too about maybe other things you could be doing at work. And also, I would say like take initiative and be part of anything that interests you. Don't don't put all the pressure on your boss to come up with more projects for you. This is something we talk a lot about, where it's like your boss has a lot on their plate and you know, while you've asked, hey, is there anything else I can help you with? It's not maybe their top priority. In fact, it's probably definitely not their top priority. (laughs) But maybe you can have those informational interviews and then say to your boss, like, oh, I talked to so-and-so and they, you know, started their career in here doing this thing. I would really love to sit in on those meetings. Or could I be part of that proposal process or client meeting or client call or and, and maybe whatever your side hustle is, the experience you learn about how to deal
3: with clients, you can then use that later on. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to say is um, as you start to build your side hustle, especially if you're maybe doing it in the morning, <laughs> um, you might get to work and say, well, well, this is something I can actually either practice or yeah. hone my skills in on and, you know, bring into my workday currently and and that it could end up actually improving your current situation and and it could give you new ideas to actually bring to your boss to say you know well i'm really good at social media or design and i would love to try my hand at you know this project i know you were you know thinking of getting freelancers to do it but i really think i could i think that you will find you'll inevitably find these new skills that you could then bring into your work day and sort of change your own role Yeah. Um, And be more like self-directed, actually.
2: I've actually heard that happen to a lot of people. So, you know, they got an interest in XYZ. The company really didn't have it. So they said to their boss, could I spend 30% of my time working on this other thing? And then it turns into their whole role. Like you you do hear of that happening. And I think everyone likes to have kind of that trial period beforehand. And I would say too, like, Try your best to not get too worked up about everything not working out all at once because, you know, believe it or not, I, I truly believe that these things tend to kind of naturally fall into place. And I think sometimes when you are overanalyzing and planning, and you kind of start to get anxious because it's like, well, I'm sitting here and I'm just spending all day every day doing nothing. It's not nothing. And you actually are picking up probably a lot more than you think you are, too. Mm-hmm. I feel like we
3: always say this in every piece of advice, but maybe it's worth keeping a journal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because otherwise these these times go by and when and especially if you're balancing two things, you're gonna go, well it's been three months and I've done nothing. And yeah. that's just not gonna be true.
2: Yeah, and then you're gonna get into a cycle of yes. I've done nothing, I the inner critic, et cetera. So well, wonderful. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. It's our last for our special summer series, Summer School 2019. It's been incredibly fun to mix things up this season and include more listener participation. So thank you so much to all of you. And you know that another well-themed season is just around the corner, literally. We'll be launching season four of The Females on September 10th with Courage as our theme. From Courageous Conversations to Courageous Acts, we'll have an awesome lineup coming your way. So be sure to subscribe to The Female so you don't miss the launch of season four. And we can't wait to be back in your earbuds on September 10th. But until then, you can follow us on Instagram, which is at the females podcast or visit us at careercontested.com.